Welcome to the Freeborn Shard Series 3, Episode 4. I'm Tim Bancroft, one of the co-developers of Antares 2 alongside Rick Priestley. This series we're covering various aspects of Antares 2, the new edition of Beyond the Gates of Antares, and are starting with a few shorts to set the scene. If you want to look at the Nexus, on which there's loads of information, go to antaresnexus.com. I'd just like to add now that we've just released the Vol, uh, mastered and created by Joey Pruitt, which is absolutely fantastic. But this is a race who we've wanted to get out for a long, long time. And next episode, we'll go into more detail of what the Vol are like. This episode, though, we'll have a brief run through of what's new in Antares 2. What's changed in Antares 2? Well, in this segment, I'll be guided by the page on the new Antares Nexus called What's New in V2. You can access it from the Rule Central drop-down menu where it's the first item on the list. When we first started looking at a second version, Rick and I asked players what they wanted, as players may remember from some of the game stays up at Warlord Games. Overwhelmingly, the response was the same but better. The narrative playstyle was important to players, the factions were important, the feel of the gameplay and the factions and the depth of the game were all important. They didn't want a simplified game. And, um, you know, frankly, if you did, go for a, a smaller game like Incision Shard. The only issue they had as a whole was a few rough edges, a few odd rolls. And frankly, again and again, it came back to us that the layout of the book and the rules needed looking at. So... When we came to the rewrite, we used a number of sources that I'd been collating. Uh, the V1 Narata, obviously, as well as the FAC. But I've al also been keeping track of complaints and gribbles players had raised in a document. Some of these changes had already come out as Warlord's official Games Day mods. But those and all the rest went into the melting pot as well. Effectively, we just had this big swathe of changes which needed to be put in, none of which were super major, none of which were game stoppers or anything else, but they would just make Antares better. So Rick put his head down and set to work rewriting the core, whilst I set to work rewriting all the rest of the material. And then, of course, playtest began, and then the pandemic struck. You also now know that I was released from my job at Warlord as they shut down development of Antares 2 and now Rick and I are taking it on ourselves. What that means is though that we've gone back and actually put back into Antares 2 some of the stuff we'd taken out that Warlord would have had to have done for relaunch. So you'll find a lot of the lists are actually more similar to version 1 than perhaps they may have been with a Warlord run version 2 and they've been thoroughly play tested. We had to drop out a couple of lists which was the Feral and the Mercenary lists because I just not had enough playtesting feedback on either list, which is a bit of a pity because I've wanted feral lists for a long, 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 long time. But there we go. That's another story and we'll go into it at a different time. Effectively, what we've done is pulled out specialised or detailed rules and put them into their own PDFs or sections rather than constantly interrupt or overcomplicate the core rules. What we've also done is tried to make the rules more easily understood and this may have expanded the text a little here and there, but we hope it's for the best. But we've tried to be succinct. We've also added a whole load of diagrams. Uh, and this may seem that some sections have extended. But frankly, when you actually look at the word count, it's actually probably a little bit shorter. And the actual instructions are simpler and more easy read as well. We just hope that you're not daunted by the diagrams. 
We've incorporated changes arising from a huge amount of play experience and player feedback, but fundamentally underneath it all, the feel, approach, tactics and gameplay remains the same, but it's just faster, smoother and easier to run through. Um, during playtests, I've lost count the number of times players just said, can we just keep using version 2, please? I don't want to go back to version 1, which both Rick and I thought was really, really great. Anyway, we've redone all the army lists for each army, the intention being that as many of the existing models as possible can be reused. Uh, though we've had to drop some for a wide range of issues, such as production preferences or for game unbalancing and usage and so on. We're hoping that Skytrex will bring back a lot of the singleton models and the add-ons that were stopped being sold through the Warlord's store because it just wasn't productive and there are too many items in the Antares list. But it means that we should be able to have quite personally tailored armies in some ways or another. So in general, what that means is, is that Antares 2 is available free in a largely black and white PDF format for players to download and print. The core rulebooks are the Antares 2 core rules, which can be used for non-Antares games if you want. Uh, the Antares 2 Arms and Equipment Guide, which provides rules for all the common technical wizardry on the Antares battlefield. What we've done here, though, is stripped out all the highly specialist weapons that belong to each faction and put them in the faction army lists. The third rulebook is playing the game, which explains how the army lists work, how to play the games, how to choose alliances, uh, how to go for objectives and that sort of stuff. And it contains a dozen scenarios, some new, some old. And of course, there are loads of scenarios still available on the Nexus. That's if you want to know what the Nexus is, that's HTTPS colon backslash backslash AntaresNexus.com backslash. I'm sure you can work it out from there. The last one is the Universe Guide, which has got a lot of the background. Uh, it has got a little bit of colour in it, so it comes in two versions, one colour, one black and white. Uh, we've expanded some sections. It's now got a section on Vol. Rick wrote a fantastic timeline, which I incorporated in into there. And overall, it's on its own, it's something like an 80 or 90 page booklet on A4 sized paper. Yeah, using, you know, not particularly large font. So there is masses of background material there. All of these can be downloaded from Rule Central. As we said, we're now going to be developing Antares 2 on a hobby basis. Uh, we've tried to do what we can to now put it on a back burner. So we will release a few amendments as they come through from time to time because it's a digital only offering at the moment we may be able to actually put it into a uh, print-on-demand pod format uh, once they're all settled down onto a bit, but that depends on work and all the rest of it. All the characters have been incorporated into the core lists, and but you could use the models as leaders anyway. Oh, there is a Freeborn character supplemental because there are just so many Freeborn and mercenary characters. What this means overall, though, is that we can allow players to have their own columns on the Antares Nexus and even encourage the use of STLs and player-built models. And we've already seen some specialist vehicles come through, uh, which Warlord were unable to produce. And I'll just insert a quick late edit here to say that the Vol have finally come out. Joey Pruitt's done some excellent work. 
on mastering the fall and he's created some options for leaders and specially armored models and with the two weapons which epitomize the vault their pulsar which fires basically biocide like uh, grenades which wipe out non-vault life and the plasma projector which is basically a combination weapon which can be turned into a heavy duty weapon as well as just an individual man portable weapon anyway we'll go back to the original script now in short Antares should now become more focused on players which was in many ways its original intention so let's actually get down to the nitty-gritty of what's changed in the rules above all as far as dice go, low is good for the roller throughout. For example, the attacker rolls on the damage table and a one means a devastating result. And similarly, when you've got 50-50 results, a one to five is good for the attacker and six to 10 is bad. It's just a minor gribble, but it's something which we found really helped. Every model has got a size and a move now. Now, previously models did have sizes, but really it was just sort of like medium and large now we've got four sizes that's small medium large and extra large there's very few models who are extra large typically things like the bastion and the broodmother uh, there's a fair few models who are large and that's things such as the combat skimmers the transports the tanks and that sort of stuff there's a lot of things which are medium. Medium's quite a broad category now, so it includes a fair number of support weapons. It includes Gar battle suits and Ra, as well as humans. And then you've got a small size, which is things like probes. And it's more difficult to shoot at small things. So you get a minus one to your ack, and it's easier to shoot at large and extra large things. You get plus one to your ack. Every model's now got a move stat, and the basic move is five, exactly the same as previous and we've remo removed the previous fast and slow which meant it was either two and a half or ten basically because of the move rate it means you can have things like move four for the broodmother and boromites and move six for the galloping san ra but also means things like gar and san can sprint because they're medium size and gar battle suits i should say have got a move of four and they've still got a, their terrible ag but that sprint is really really useful and i will say now that it's worth sprinting boromites because you don't get the double pin penalty. I'll come on to that a little bit later. We've removed all the double pin penalties uh, apart from the command tests and shooting and hand to hand where you can get special hits or duds. Uh, and on command tests, you can actually get rid of two pins or you can just go down and not remove a pin. But basically all the double pin or the special results have been removed apart from those but anyway we'll come back to the move stat what we've done is actually broken apart the fast special rule into several things so you've got hit and run which means you're so fast you can actually go in shoot in point blank shooting and then break off you, the fast rule itself means that if you're shot at whilst you're sprinting which is the old part of the old fast rule um, you force attackers to re-roll their hits uh, the move stat, though, has been really great. Um, it's enabled us to have a huge amounts of variety between factions in the capability of fast-moving skimmers and lighter combat skimmers. So, for example, the Avenger uh, is now faster than the standard tank or the transport, uh, though it's not quite as fast. 
as the Aldrin skimmers and things like that. The Concord and Isaurian personal skimmers are, of course, the fastest on the battlefield. They have to be. They're the best tech. But freeborn skimmers aren't that far behind. And then behind them, of course, you've got the Algrin combat skimmers are a bit slower. But now they're a bit tougher as well. Terrain and movement's been tidied up. You've now got to the cumbersome rule or you don't have the cumbersome rule. Basically, if you've got the cumbersome rule, you gain an extra pin when you fail an agility test, which makes things fairly straightforward. Terrain has been changed, though. Um, so we've still got the, the same thing about terrain can en encumber mute movement or it can give you cover or it can give you concealment. But we've really now focused on it. So now you've got obscuring terrain or clear or blocking. So basically, you can draw line of sight through up to four inches of what was previously light terrain and obstacles. And you count the distance you shoot over the obstacle as well. And what this has meant is that the terrain in depth becomes more difficult to see through, which is probably more reflective of real life. But we found it also makes the game much more interesting. Uh, and we've added a whole list of example terrain features with their bonuses, concealment and cover and that sort of thing in the back of the book. But the simple ones are that ter terrain either gives you a zero, plus one or plus two cover bonus. And the plus two is for rocks, plus one is for wood, plus zero is for almost anything else. Plus three is reserved for fortifications. It is either easy going or difficult going. And if it's difficult going, you have to make an egg test in it. Otherwise, you don't. And, of course, the concealment I've just gone through. We find it actually speeds play immensely because players aren't constantly referring to the terrain list. But what we've done is we put a table in the back where we've gone through every single bits of terrain and added them some suggestions as to how you might change that. So it's, for example, if it's rather dense but not completely blocking terrain, it may stop line of sight through only two inches or if it's a bit lighter terrain you may be able to see up to eight inches through it what's this meant in as well is that you can actually have really large terrain pieces and still use the terrain rules properly previously if you had a six foot long wood you could see from one end of it to the other which didn't quite seem right but now you can have really quite large terrain pieces and there are no restrictions on how large your terrain can be part of that means that we've added loads of examples on line of sight because that's the thing that constantly kept cropping up in version one and one of the things we've had to make clear time and time again is that we don't know what your terrain is what it's like and what your tables are and how they're set up you know rick's got some lovely terrain but it's all of a particular type i've got some terrain which i've made which looks incredibly dense and it's all sorts of different types as well and i've got some particular hills and i've got some conventions that i use my club's got conventions that it uses around hills and other people have got their own conventions so what we've tried to make clear to players is you've got to decide amongst yourselves before you start the game exactly what you're doing with all this terrain that way you don't get any arguments or issues and problems uh, and frankly it's not something that we can actually write into the rules without going on for 30 or 40 pages which makes the rules incredibly tedious so where else has been a interesting change oh how about ones and tens right in shooting in hand-to-hand, -hand, only a single one counts as a lucky hit rather than every one. However, the difference is now that you never re-roll that lucky hit and you actually never re-roll any tens, the duds. So one lucky hit is never re-rolled 
and tens are ne also never re-rolled. The defender allocates all non-lucky hits first, according to the distribution rules, which is exactly the same as v version 1, frankly. But then the shooter allocates that last lucky hit to any valid target model in the squad they've just hit. And by this, it's, it's anything even one which has already had a hit allocated or it's a piece of equipment or it's a buddy drone. This has really changed the allocation decisions and they've proven to be really fun for attacker and defender. You can perhaps overload a leader as well as previously just allocate the hit to a non-leader, but overloading the leader can cause some real issues. And it comes out now, so we've limited that the effectiveness of the tough rerolls a little bit. Um, I should say here that the leader re-rolls being relocated to tough so it can actually be applied if you like to non-leader figures which is what it was actually intended to be anyway. Shooting has changed we've seen some of these in the Warlord Games Day rules sorry a quick slurp of water there we've changed and removed a few modifiers but the main ones are that all rapid fire is minus one to hit and all overhead shooting is now minus one to hit. Maglart supports and similar weapons can now shoot in point-blank shooting and they're meant to be for point defence work anyway, so they should be able to shoot in point-blank shooting. Overhead shooting's changed a little bit in that you only make a single roll. Uh, on a fire order, uh, on a hit, you hit if you make the number you want. On a miss, though, you diverge your overhead shot the number of inches specified on that missed dice roll in the direction the dice is pointing. So you just make a single roll to hit roll and you take everything from that. That means you're not going to miss and then only diverge by an inch and hit the target anyway. If you miss, you will miss. We've also got rid of the bit of a problem where units were dancing around all over the place with advance orders and firing off their mortar into the air and still expecting to hit and do something which is never really the intention so on a miss with an advance order you miss completely assaults have changed a little bit uh, we've removed the hand weapon bonus as we've also had to adjust the weapon tables in general to pull them all together and make them more easier to use it's worth noting now that Boromir infantry units can take a pair of rock dogs as either security patrol or useful equipment they brought up from the mines. This means that these units can be really fun to use and really deadly. So you take on these at your own risk. The Broodmother is now really nasty in hand-to-hand. -hand. Her lava mites come along with her as normal, and she has got two attacks at really high SV and, of course, a really high strength. So basically, she can just chew on vehicles and take them apart. Reactions. There's really few minor changes. The countercharge reaction has come in, uh, which means that you can charge somebody who's charging you, but that's about it. The damage charts we've merged into one. So drones, vehicles and humongous beasts all use the same damage chart, but there's a lot more discrete results, uh, such as armor field failure, so your armor field can gradually re reduce as well as vehicles being slowed down by a 1M each time, and so on. This makes weapon drones a lot tougher. Heavily armoured targets, though, now add plus 5 to the dice results rather than halving it, so are very likely to get a no additional effect result on the chart, which makes heavily armoured damage chart 
model's much tougher as well. So if you're shooting at a Res 15 tank, you're unlikely to cause a pill on it at all. One of the other major changes we've made, which is to reduce the effect of rapid fire weapons, that when you're rolling multiple results from a single set of attack, it's only the worst of all the results on the damage chart that has taken, not every single one. Uh, this was something that a lot of players really grumbled about, and uh, frankly, it uh, was one of the gropes I had with the system. Seemed silly that you could fire at it with loads and loads of light machine gun fire and do more damage than you could when you're firing an anti-tank weapon. We've merged some of the weapons, changed some of them. Twinned weapons are now just one size larger, as they always had been, for example, or should have been. We've consolidated some of the other weapons, so frag and fractal weapons are now just one particular type, and the boromite tools are now just one generic type, which represents a mix of tractor mauls or compactor mauls. We just called it compactor maul, I believe. And we've also pulled things like the Mag Heavy support and the Twin Mag Light support into one category, which is Mag Heavy support. It's just supposed to be one heavy rapid firing weapon, which can cause some really nasty damage. Plasma cannons are a little bit tougher and nastier now. They are the baseline nasty weapon, which goes along with a greater differentiation in heavy weapons in general, I think. The major change here really though is in the layout and the removal of special rules to their own specific sections such as all the probe rules being in the probe section in the arms and equipment guide and the buddy rules all being in the same section in their arms and equipment guide and so on. This is to help make the rules easier to understand and update but it's also a bit of a judgment call and we know we can't get it right all the time but hopefully we'll make it much easier to change things and amend things and actually for players to find out where things are. Oh, I should add, we've added an index into all of the core rules as well as a table of contents. And I hope that players find the indexes really useful. The biggest change overall is probably in the lists because I've had to go over and redo all the point values. This is based on a whole load of gripes that we'd had quite often from players in that the most useful Concord strike squad was 125 points under the old system because it had a plasma lance and it had a spotter in it and it had a squad leader in it another reasonable gripe was that why didn't any any of the guys take their plasma grenades and why wasn't a strike squad leader automatically given a sling net and x-sling because it was just too useful so you'll find now that all the main infantry are all armed with grenades that they picked up on their normal kit they're given X-slings with sling nets if it's part of their arm armory. They're given micro X's with overload if it's part of that, and so on and so on. Each of the core units for the major factors has been made about ten points. We've discounted the core unit, the very very core staple units of each faction slightly, to make them more representative and to encourage players to grab them, hoping that it's not overly discounted. But this means that a strike squad costs 10 points, and that includes everybody with plasma grenades, it includes somebody with a plasma lance, it includes a spotter, includes a leader with X-Sling and Slingnet, and everybody's got plasma grenades. Similarly, an Algorin Vector squad has got two micro X's with overload, everybody's got grenades, uh, the leader can have a choice of whatever choice of weapons he wants, really, uh, and so on. So it's all sensible choices, and you don't have to think much. You know that when you pick up 
that unit from your selector, your list, that it contains everything you want. You don't have to play with it. You can, of course, still do a few upgrades, perhaps with a few extra buddies or a few extra uh, models in the unit. But basically, it's what you want. The reduction of the points to about a tenth of their previous size has also meant that you can add up the points in your head. Uh, which means that list building becomes really, really quickly. You know, if you want to put together a 50-point list, you can just look at the points and say, OK, well, I'll have a couple of strike squads. That's 20 points. I'll have a D1 drone, which is 7 points. I'll have a couple of targeter and medi shards. And I'll also have a spotted shard. That's another 13 points. And I think I'll probably have a X launcher with batter shield and spotter, which is an extra 10 points. There we go. And you've made up a list and that's it. And I wasn't looking at a list when I was making that up. So that's really easy. To help that, of course, what we've done is we've also looked at what the another thing that was complained about in version one is that the tactical, the support, the strategic and the auxiliary selectors were really quite limiting. And what you found that at particular point levels, you had the same sort of force all the time. So what we've done is we've tried to give a little bit more flexibility. We've said to people, look, in order to be representative of a faction and give a feel for how the faction plays, you really do need to take these units in a particular selector for that faction. So from the strike force, you have to take, say, a one or two strike squads, you have to take one or two medium drones, and you have to take a strike support team or so. Or you can select three units at force level one from those. And then the rest you can take relatively up to your heart's content but each unit has got its numbers limited by the force level now force levels are just a general grouping so you could say force level one is about up to 85 points so games up to 85 points you're limited to force level one which may be one vehicle or one um, heavy weapon whereas at force level two which goes up to about uh, you know 140 135 points allows you to take the tanks or the heavy combat skimmers at force level three above that you can take almost anything you you want all that does is actually try and restrain the over-enthusiastic player who might want to bring along a bastion to an infantry battle, for example. And you end up, unfortunately, with a very disappointing game if it's so lopsided. I have to stress, and we've stressed it time and again, if you don't like the lists, don't use them. You know, make up your own list that represent what you think your own force should be. And Taris is so huge and every house, freeborn house is different. Even the Concord shards are slightly different. Uh, that you can make up your own and it's still absolutely fine. But for balance games and for competition games, we do recommend you stick to the selectors that are given in the individual lists as they have been tested, they have been tried, and they do provide some controlled ways of producing some fun and varied lists that give you a really really good game that is competitive and that's one of the things we found is that actually the point system is now is a little bit more sympathetic towards tournament style play even though Antares is still very very much a narrative style game and you're constantly going through the story in your head so i think i've covered everything really that needs to be said about Antares 2 and the changes that are going to be coming on, even though I've gone through this very, very quickly indeed. Fundamentally, the story remains the same. 
that narrative gaming is a cooperative interaction and Antares 2 remains very much a narrative fun game. As players, we need each other to create a shared space in which we can have the most enjoyment. The thing is, we can't see every situation, every piece of terrain or every oddity that happens on a freeform table, especially in a more complex game like Antares. So, when an unforeseen event occurs, remember the golden rule, that shared space, and sort it out between yourselves. The main reason for playing the game and for us writing the rules is to relax and enjoy ourselves. So all we can say is have fun, everyone. Just have fun. This episode, we continue with Revenge, the five-part story we started in episode one and presented in an experimental narrative radio play format. Last episode detailed the events at Duret 4, where the Garb rebel leader Fartok annihilated Karg and his loyalist forces. This week's episode is titled The High Council Debate and relates the events that occurred when the news of Karg's defeat reached Algor. We've called on a number of people to help, and some voices you may recognise. Revenge Part 4 The High Council Debate The news spread like wildfire. A cascade of data across the Prosperous information networks. The news flash even brought a suspension of activity in the simmering cold civil war between the Algorin traditionalists and progressives. From there, freeborn traders took the message to the Imtels from where it spread even faster. The Algorin High Council was summoned to an emergency session. The Speaker spent no time yielding the floor to Intelligence Division General Councillor Gudes Matarin. Rumours were rife but the council floor was silent as she took her place behind the podium and her first words echoed in the silence. Gar High Commander Karg has been killed. Silence, please. Martarin, do continue. Reliable intelligence indicates Karg was killed in combat by Rebel Commander Fartok. A holo shimmered into existence, showing data sources, their routes into the Algren intelligence network, their reliability. A map of the Prosperate borders appeared, the system of Duret at its centre. Our agents report the Gar rebels have disappeared from our borders. A question, if I may, First Councillor. Go ahead, Esmarak. Questions are welcome. Thank you, First Councillor. So, Councillor Turin, where did the Gar go? We believe they have pulled back to staging centres. Fartok's ship was last glimpsed in the Nexus, heading towards where we believe Garan Prime to be located. I have a request from Councillor Kobe. Go ahead, Councillor. Thank you, Sir Durell. Matarin, so you're saying Fartok staged a successful coup? A coup seems most likely, Sir Kobe. We lost contact with Duret 4 a while back, but the activity was centred around the colony on Duret 4. I authorised a small intelligence raid into Gar territory and it captured a Gar picket, at some cost I should add. We interrogated the crew and the news is not good at all. Another cleansing? I thought Karg had already carried out a clear of this loyal Gar. Karg did have a clear out, but killed very few. Apparently he preferred to humiliate his opposition instead, so made them outcast. It was why Fartok's rebels did so well. Huge numbers of outcasts and exiles joined his cause. So what's different now? A good question, Sir Kobe. 
we gather that High Commander Fartok has chosen a strategy of reconciliation with Karg's outcasts. This has been accompanied by what appears to be a ruthless extermination, or recycling as the Gar call it, of Karg's closest supporters. You know this, how? The picket had a high number of reintegrated outcasts who were proud of being reaccepted into the Empire. Some are even retaining the outcast name and weapons as a sign of pride. So, they're disorganized, lacking structure, and in disarray. We should be acting now to recapture our lost systems. Disarray is unlikely, Sir Kobe. I suspect this is worse than we fear. Fartok is brilliant, unorthodox for a gar, and canny. If anything, this is just a regrouping before he takes over where Karg left off. And you have obviously never been near a Gar battlefield and captured planet, Sir Kobe. Else you would know they leave nothing but a useless, polluted wasteland. Order. I will have respect in this chamber. Order indeed, Sir Chairman. My apologies, Sir Kobe. Could you continue, please, Sir Chairman? Yes. The interrogator's impression was that Fartok's magnanimous actions has made the previously outcasts and exiles even more loyal to Fartok than they were before, and increasingly defiant towards humans. A high proportion of the Gar crew were not as nauseated at the sight of a human than we might have expected. Any further insight into Fartok's activity? We have still not located Gar and Prime and have received no more direct information, but are predicting their actions from shipping paths and passive sensor beacons in infiltrated systems. Karg did not unify the Gar, but divide them, our prisoners suggesting he suspended Gar rule and replaced them with sycophants who were loyal to him, not the cause. Yes, ships are heading away from the borders, and Gar are slowing their expansion, but... But what, Martarin? Please continue. We believe this is temporary. Just a lull, if you will, whilst they reorganise into Fartok, then re-equip and renew their expansion. Councillor Altos Janar has a question. Go ahead, Sir Janar. So what about the impending collapse? From what I understand, they are likely to consolidate when faced with a Nexus collapse. Surely a withdrawal is more likely to be a reaction to that. Trusted Janar to ask a pointless question. Councillor Rack, please restrain yourself. Respect is to be shown. Of course, Chairman. The collapse, if the Nexus is collapsing, means nothing to the Gar. Indeed, it is likely it will spur them on to establish even more fortress worlds and hatcheries, all the better to continue their assault on pan-humanity when reconnected. So, rather than pose theoretical positions, perhaps we should allow Intelligence Division to state their findings and deductions. Materin? What is the intelligence view on this? Unfortunately, it is a worst-case scenario. We expect Fartok to convince the Supreme Commander of Karg's betrayal of Gar values and be confirmed as Gar High Commander, second only to their Supreme Commander. And then what? Our simulations all point to one result. Fartok will distribute loyal Gar amongst the Gar forces to bring their senior ranks back up to operational strength. This includes his pardoned rebels and exiles, as well as pardoned officers made outcast by Karg. Next step would be for Fartok to immediately launch a number of targeted chevaches, raised with the intent solely to boost Gar resources. We expect those to be on non-prosperous systems in the determinate, simply because they are not as well protected as our own systems. 
Only then will the Gar move against prosperous worlds, but will do so before the Vol Aldo can move too far north and make any coordinated action. That is grim news indeed. Can we stop them? Piecemeal, yes. We still have superior technology and better troops, but we are spread out too thinly across the affiliate worlds. We need more troops or a miracle. It sounds like we need to recall Tar Esjanar. He has dealt with Fartok before. Tar Ez can wait. He's stirred up enough trouble as it is with his alliance with the Concord. Counselors, we need to defend the homeworlds, then the member systems. And we need to consolidate forces on the southern borders, not pardon criminals. We need every good strategist and trooper we have. Would you suggest that we bring back the Marek? Don't be ridiculous. Order, order. Dispositions are best left to the military councils of the 13 worlds. For now, I think we all need to understand the briefing. This meeting of the Algrin High Council is adjourned for three hours whilst we do so. In part four of Revenge, First Councillor Forenderell was played by John Harrington, Intelligence General Good Esma Taren by Rosemary Bancroft, Special Division Councillor Esma Rak by Laura Marincheck, Traditionalist Councillor Kobe by Sergey Allen, and Progressive Councillor Altez Janar by Kevin Stotts. The narrator was Tim Bancroft. This episode of The Freeborn Shard was produced by Tim Bancroft. Theme music is by Nice Dudes by Big Nick and is used with permission. Happy gaming all! <laughs>